1: Next on Environmental as Anything, we are very pleased to welcome back to the show a regular contributor, Michael Mazengar. Michael is a journalist with Renew Economy and uh, has been working in the renewable energy sector for more than a decade. It is always a pleasure and a privilege to have access to Michael's considerable insights into the renewable energy transition. Michael, thank you very much for joining Environmental as Anything today. That's right. Thanks for having me on. No, we really appreciate your time. Uh, you are consistently on the money with the uh, Renew Economy uh, uh, website and the work that you're doing there. Which, so I was going to. I'm always glad to get your input in the show. No, thanks. Thanks. So um, we've got a bunch of stories here, and I'm going to start from the most recent today. You've uh, got New Zealand Labor pledges 100% renewables by 2030, national hydrogen refuelling network. What is mm. going on across the ditch?
0: Yeah, so I guess New Zealand is about to head into a a national election um, about a a month away. Um, So we've got the the parties over there making their election pitches to voters. Um, We've got the Jacinda Ardern-led New Zealand Labor Party coming out saying that they will bring forward their target um, of reaching 100% renewable electricity uh, to 2030, um, which is bringing that target forward by five years. I um, wow. so think they can they can make that switch um, faster than they originally thought, um, and that'll include uh, investments in new um, new projects, a new pumped hydro um, storage facility, um, and um, uh, yeah, a rollout of a, a national network of um, hydrogen refuelling um, stations. So um, they're really sort of leaning into that. Um, decarbonisation of both their electricity system, but also their um, transport and industrial sectors.
1: That is fantastic. Uh, New Zealand uh, leading the charge again, leaving Australia in its dust.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a, a bit of a contrast um, when you compare what's going on in New Zealand at the moment to uh, to what's going on here. You know, they've got a, a national government that's really really leaning into the 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 transition to, to clean energy um, and really embracing that, um, you know, the, these these commitments follow um, what the the Ardern government has already done in terms of legislating a um, uh, their zero carbon bill and a commitment to, to phasing out their um, uh, coal use throughout most of their economy. So, yeah, it's good stuff from New Zealand. It's
1: great stuff. Um, well, we've got here across uh, on our side of the ditch, we've got uh, some other good news. We had uh, Morrison willingly turning a blind eye to clean energy, Labor says. So it uh, looks like uh, uh, the, uh, the federal opposition is, uh, is, is actually uh, getting, getting on to them about this.
0: Yeah, this is really interesting. So this was um, earlier this week. Um, we had both Labor leader Anthony Albanese and their climate and energy spokesperson, Mark Butler, at two different events. Um, basically saying that um, you know, the Morrison government is overlooking the really good um, economic uh, economy-boosting investments that could be made in, in clean energy projects, um, including in regional areas, um, that you know, if the government was looking for ways to, to really uh, stimulate and kick-start the Australian economy, that investments in um, building new large-scale renewable energy projects through to supporting the rollout of, of rooftop solar and, and energy efficiency measures are, re- are actually a really good way of, of creating jobs and, and, and stimulating the economy. Um, but instead, we've got a Morrison government who is looking at the gas industry and, and seems just to sort of pig-headedly being, you know, pushing into um, what they consider a, a gas-led recovery, Yeah. Um, despite, you know, all the evidence suggesting that, you know, gas is, is, is not going to be the job maker, or or going to help reduce um, energy prices in the way that they they seem to
1: suggest it will. Yeah, no, there's a, a major uh, like a, how many factors of, of difference are there? There's like there's so, so many. Uh, there's like seven times as many jobs or something in renewables as in as in the gas industry. Is that is that right?
0: Yeah, it's pretty pretty huge. So there's some you know things like you know rooftop solar um, and energy efficiency measures. You know they're they're actually really good. Um, job creating industries because you get people out, um, you know, putting solar panels on roofs or you know installing energy efficient appliances. Um, whereas when you've got a big gas project, you sort of you get a lot of activity when it's when a gas project is constructed, um, but once it's completed, mm. you know the the jobs virtually sort of disappear and you sort of have a handful of jobs who are continue on operating the thing, um, and so the actual long term job. Prospects are pretty small um, and you know, all you're doing is, is continuing to, to grow a, a sector that's contributing to greenhouse gas emissions and not delivering particularly cheap energy for Australian consumers.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, it, it it the impression that I'm getting, and I, I'm just you know going to confirm that with you is it looks like uh, the ALP are firmly committed to that uh, renewable prosperity for the for the recovery. Is that is that what their uh, you know their, their genuine commitment is? You reckon?
0: I, I think so. I, th- I think they they learned a bit of a lesson during the last federal election in that they really need when they, when they're talking about renewables and, and climate action that they really need to talk about jobs as well mm. and i think i think they didn't quite get that cut through at that last federal election and and you know the coalition ran a bit of a fear campaign around you know if they stop coal projects that it's going to cost jobs um and, and i think labor's sort of realized that actually we can talk about renewable energy and we can talk about reducing emissions while also talking about creating jobs for people mm. including in jobs in in blue-collar sectors and, and in and regional communities, mm. um, so I think we're starting to see Labor kind of embrace that, and they go, "Look, we can have both. You know, we can have more jobs, and we can have investment in renewables. Those things go hand in hand. They're not. It's not an either
1: or." Situation. No, that's right. It's uh, It's great to see. There's such a widespread uh, embracing of that. Uh, you know, the the uh, what's it the uh, the roundtable recently, the roundtable report. Um, where they, you know, so so many major players in Australia are actually mm. coming to, to to that exact position, aren't they? It's just like the big the big economic players in Australia are all getting behind it.
0: Yeah, so that's that's the you know the Australian Climate Roundtable, which you know the membership of that includes um, the Business Council of Australia and the Australian Industry Group um, and a number of uh, investor groups, business groups. You know that's you know they're, they're Organisations that we've normally seen as being quite antagonistic to strong action on climate change, mm. and they're actually really coming around to it and saying, you know, we're probably going to have to do something about climate change, and if we do it the right way, um, it, it can actually be really quite good for our economy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, like, and meanwhile, you, another story that you, you've written uh, just back in the 8th, a few days ago, a federal government energy roadmap based on guesswork and thought bubbles.
0: Yeah, this is a this is a really inter- interesting uh story. So, um there's been a bit of work. You know, the government came out with this technology investment roadmap where they they say they went and did a big survey of all these different energy technologies about, you know, what what can we invest in to reduce emissions and and you know, how much, you know, do these these technologies cost in terms of producing energy and you know, the government is sort of latching onto this saying, you know, we can Investing gas and we can invest in carbon capture and storage and th- those things are going to be necessary um and you know they produced a whole bunch of charts and a whole bunch of data in this report and um the australia institute sort of went digging and, and sort of put in this freedom of information request saying you know where do you get all this data that you know somehow shows that you know using gas as a backup to renewables is going to reduce you know can, can achieve the same amount of emissions reductions as as backing up renewables with battery storage or pumped hydro.
1: Which which is patently absurd on the face of
0: it. On the surface, it just doesn't quite make sense. And so they went, sort of asked the the Department of Industry, where did you get these numbers from? And they came back in their response and sort of said, oh, yeah, basically basically this is just, um, you know, departmental... Um, estimates and so they you know, in in a way that, you know, using bureaucratic language they basically just said look, we, we came up with the numbers ourselves um, and we you know, haven't haven't really got uh, an independent source for them right. um, which is, you know, quite an interesting um, admission yeah. to make um, and when we followed up you know, they, the Australian Institute let us know about the response that they got and we sort of published it and, and clearly the government is not yeah you know we, we've the response we got from them was like oh no, that's not that's not what we meant we you know we've gone out and consulted with all these experts and that's what we've got the data from so they're really trying to like you know walk back the admission that they made, but yeah. I think it's, it's kind of clear that
1: cat's out of the bag
0: yeah that's right yeah
1: well so I've, I've been calling uh, Angus Taylor the uh, Minister for shameful emissions for a long time. I think I'll have to change that to the minister for embarrassing admissions
0: yeah well he's... he's Poor old Angus. I mean, uh, I would say poor old Angus Taylor. But really, he's he's put his foot in it quite a few times. He's got
1: quite a track record at the moment. So well, he's got two feet. What else is he going to do with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough mockery for a moment. Um, <laughs> Taylor to force energy. Uh, to, Taylor to force clean energy funds to back gas and carbon mm. capture. That's a sort of a related story, isn't it?
0: Yeah. So this, you know, they've. they've Angus Taylor and the sort of federal government has got these sort of push that they want to do, you know, they've got this roadmap that they're saying, you know, says that they should be able to invest in in gas and carbon capture and storage projects and and so they've turned to um, the Renewable Energy Agency and the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which are two you know, government bodies that were formed under the Gillard government um and have have been allocated a whole bunch of funding to really support clean energy projects and Mm. both of those agencies have done a very good job Mm. at doing that Mm. but the Morrison government has gone look what we want to do is use some of that money and and direct that and and put that into uh gas and, and carbon capture projects and so they've um, producing a whole bunch of legislative amendments to try and compel those agencies to sort of funnel that money into those projects, um, uh, and and Taylor's so Taylor's introduced a whole bunch of legislative amendments into the Parliament, um, which we'll see debated over the next few months. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like you know Labor and the Greens have already come out and said that they're going to oppose the amendments and that those okay. those agencies should should. Rem- maintain their status as being dedicated for for renewable energy projects um but you know we'll see see what happens um, yeah. it's hard to predict at times and, well. and there'll be some some negotiations going on
1: behind yeah. the scenes i imagine certainly counterintuitive for the clean energy finance corporation and the renewable energy agency but to be forced into the the dirty and non-renewable mm. energy sectors
0: yeah and, and part of that is you know part of these legislative amendments are are an attempt to really redefine what clean energy means. Um, and there are some literal parts of those amendments which basically says that um, for those agencies that a low emissions technology will include gas. Right. Um, which, you know...
1: Not, not actually setting a standard, just, just naming it outright. You'd, you'd accept gas even though it's as bad as coal.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll see how that pans out over the next month or two, hey? Yeah. Well, the other one uh, that I thought was was particularly apposite in that theme was the uh, newest coal generators rank amongst Australia's worst for re- liability. So we have all mm. of this uh, talk about, uh, you know, dispatchable and reliable power, and we know that coal's not affordable, but it's it's had the benefit of, of being deemed to be reliable, but it, it seems that's not even true anyway.
0: Yeah, so this comes out of, again, the, the Australian Institute has been tracking the performance of Australia's fleet of coal-fired generators. Um, and they just keep, you know, they're just watching how they operate and just just, uh, just noting every time they, they sort of appear to have a, an an unplanned outage. Hmm. Um, and so they've collated data for the last two years um, of operation. And, and particularly for Queensland, it, it seems to be some of their newest and, and most modern coal-fired generators are so the ones that are having the most... Um, uh, unplanned outages, um, which just means, you know, there's quite considerable power stations, including Mm -hmm. Kogan Creek, which is 750 megawatts, Mm -hmm. um, was ranked as the least reliable in Queensland. Um, You just sort of have this, this what's supposed to be a state-of-the-art power station, just all of a sudden coming offline, um, and the rest of the, the grid having to scramble to fill this gap of you know, seven hundred and fifty megawatts of power, which is quite a considerable that's, amount
1: of power. It's a big chunk of power to replace all of a sudden.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so,
1: so it's when not like not a few solar powers get, panels getting a, a bit dirty, or are there being some cloud cloudy days, is it?
0: No, and I mean that's you know over the long term, you know, solar power is actually quite predictable yeah. you know we know we know when the sun's going to come up, and we know when the sun's going to go down, mm. and and even though it, you know we don't get solar at night, mm. you know we know it's you know, quite predictable, and so you can prepare for it. Mm. Um, but, you know, if a coal power station turns off without any notice, it's, it's a huge amount of power that's gone. Mm. Um, and it really, you know, with the government saying that, you know, we need to invest in new coal power because that's what's going to keep the lights on, you um, well, actually, the data suggests that maybe they're not as reliable as the government seems to think that they are.
1: Yes, and and is there any reason why are we seeing th- this this terrible unreliability like in the system in in the coal fired power system?
0: I think, um, you know, some of them it's it's you know they're just big big machines and and they've got a lot of moving parts yeah. in them, and so it is you know th- this is kind of just the reality of having big big spinning machines um that operate is that just every now and again parts will will break and they take a long amount of time to get um repaired you know we've had one of them which is a a generator in victoria which is the the loyang power station Mm -hmm. it had a unit go offline and it was damaged it took them seven months to fix that and so that's hundred again hundreds of megawatts of, of power capacity that was offline for seven months because it took them that long to actually pull it apart, fix it, and put it back together again. Um, whereas, you know, with solar panels, you've got no move, moving parts in a solar panel mm. plant. Um, so they're actually, you're not, you're not worried about parts breaking or wearing out.
1: Mm. You're faster uh, ra- roll out and faster repair if they're going wrong.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, you might have a failure in a solar panel. You just pull that solar panel out, you put a new one in if you want to, or you just mm. disconnect it. And it's the same same with a wind farm. You, you have a string of... You know, maybe thirty wind turbines, um, and if one of them goes down, you just fix that one turbine, um, where well the rest of them can keep operating. Yeah. Whereas coal-fired power plant, if you lose one unit, it's a huge amount of the plant's yeah. capacity that's offline.
1: It's uh, it strikes me as being, uh, you know, it's one of the benefits of a distributed system. It's one of the reasons why we have the internet, isn't it? You know, yeah, a- absolutely. It's the mm. same
0: same principle. Yeah. So. Mm.
1: Well, Michael, that's fantastic. Look, thank you so much for that. We should wrap it up, but I just wanted to ask you before we go, if you could quickly mm-hmm. tell me what was your favourite story for the last month? We haven't spoken for about a month. What was, you've got one that stands out in your mind? It's uh, a good question. So
0: uh, something that I've been keeping an eye on is um, there's a consortium of companies in Sweden. Um, they just completed their uh, pilot um, steel manufacturing plant um, which runs on green hydrogen so Fantastic. this is a, a plant this is a you know steel it is a really energy intensive industry um traditionally it's, it's run on coal um and these the swedish group has gone out and, and built a pilot plant and they say look we can produce steel using renewable hydrogen and it's going to be fossil free steel um and i think that's a really exciting development, and it's something that we should absolutely be do- be doing here in Australia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's yeah. where our real jobs growth is going to be, isn't it? Yeah. Is if we yeah. can uh, we can produce that uh, that carbon-free uh, manufacturing here in this yeah. country. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Hope we can get you back on soon.
0: Sure thing. We'll
1: do. That was Michael Mazengarb giving us a quick overview of just some of the stories that he has been contributing to Renew Economy. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from two to five for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want for the future
0: we're hand in hand